Hey, I'm Dorothy from Redlands, California. Hey, I'm Jared from Minneapolis. Hey, this is Robert from Washington, D.C. The Sound of Young America is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. Do it. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. Once a month or so, we check in with our friends at the AV Club to find out what's worth your time in the world of arts and culture. Joining us this month are AV Club editor Keith Phipps and associate editor Tasha Robinson. Keith, Tasha, welcome back to The Sound of Young America. Hello. Hi there. Tasha, one of your picks is a movie that just hit theaters. It's called My Week with Marilyn. Um, It's about, well, a week with uh, Marilyn Monroe and uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier during the production of the film The Prince and the Showgirl. Uh, the standout performance in this allegedly is, is Michelle Williams as Marilyn Monroe. And in fact, we have a, uh, a clip of her performing in the film as Marilyn Monroe uh, singing the song Heatwave. So, Tosh, I was just in London, and I feel like 25% of the advertisements in London were for this movie, and all of them featured something saying that uh, uh, Michelle Williams was Oscar-worthy. What do you think? I think that she's really the standout thing in this movie. I mean, it's it's a movie that really kind of excited me, even though it is notably flawed, especially if you sit down and read Colin Clark's memoirs, which they're based on. You know, he kept track of his time on, like, working on the movie as a an ambitious young gopher. And he has very strong opinions about Marilyn Monroe, about Laurence Olivier, about everything involved. And he doesn't really translate to the screen as a character. They, they kind of tone him down into a, a wide-eyed every boy who gets to see what Hollywood is like. So Michelle, Michelle Williams just really stands out in the film. I mean, to a degree that almost no one else in this movie captures necessarily the, the moment or the character. She brings across Marilyn Monroe in a way that might make it easier for contemporary audiences who only know her from the films to understand who she was at the time and to understand what was going on behind the scenes. It's really strong, and it's the kind of thing that, that Oscar absolutely loves. So, Keith, you picked a new box set called the Laurel and Hardy Essential Collection. Um, It's a bunch of the short films from the iconic slapstick duo, Laurel and Hardy. Uh, The most notable may be the music box, which we're hearing a little bit of in the background. It involves the two of them trying to get a piano up a flight of stairs with um, hilarious results. In fact, those stairs are less than a mile from where I'm sitting right now. There's a plaque. That's how I know that. So, um, Keith, what's the difference between this 10-disc Fancy Pants edition and the sort of $1.99 Laurel and Hardy DVDs that you can buy at the Walmart or the drugstore or whatever? I think the, the, I think the main thing you hit it right there is, is they have been sorely uh, underserved or, or um, done disservice by uh, the DVD market so far in that um, the, more pu- the public domain things have been pressed and repressed on, on uh, uh, very cheap editions, uh, whereas this, this one there's actually um, some care has been taken. 
And the main thing, though, I would point out is, is, is the films themselves just just hold up beautifully. They're just really still funny. Um, just such a, a, a terrific team. Um, I'm looking forward to having a little more time to dig in and watch more than I've seen already. You've got 10 discs worth, Keith. You, you better set aside a, a, a hefty amount of time. <laughs> it's true. Well, I'll spread it out over, over some time. So I've, this is my real question for you, Keith. Mm-hmm. Um, these are movies that were made now 80-plus years ago. That is a long time, and frankly, I have a hard time laughing at, at almost anything made before, like, 1972. Mm-hmm. So when you say that they're still funny, do you mean that they're still funny for something that was made 90 years ago? Or do you mean that you actually were laughing like you would if you were watching a funny film in the theater today? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe even more than I do it a lot of films today, <laughs> which uh, nothing against the films today. But, um, you know, apart from from, you know. Uh, apart from bridesmaids taking a dump in the middle of the street, uh, you often get a lot drier, rier comedies uh, for the most part. To me, it's it's funny as anything that you could show me. Period. Maybe Jesse, the problem is with you. Yeah, it's probably where it is. Let's be honest. I have a lot of problems, Keith. <laughs> um, luckily, most of them are silent movie related. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking to Keith Phipps and Tasha Robinson from the AV Club. They've picked out the movies, books, and other new stuff that's worth your time. Tasha, let's talk about uh, a movie that I saw during its very brief run in theaters, even, even very brief here in Los Angeles, and that's Miranda July's movie, The Future. Um, I think it's very difficult to explain to someone uh, the a movie about a talking cat and actually about human beings trying to build meaningful relationships. Maybe you can do better than I. The movie just came out on DVD and there's also a book called It Chooses You that uh, accompanies it. I know that some people thought this thing was just a, a pile of sort of melodramatic emo quirk. And I kind of, I found it very affecting, frankly. Um, let's play a clip from the movie. This is Miranda July and her co-star, uh, Hamish Linklater, who's superb in the movie. Um, they're sitting on a couch, uh, immersed in their laptops. Can you get me some water? I'm not getting up. I'm just shifting my position. We had a crane. Then we could get water without getting up. We could just... How would you turn the faucet on? Just with my mind. It's such a shame that the only thing you can do with your mind is something that you could just do with your hand. Well, at least I have that, you know? You can't really do anything special with your mind. Well, except stop time. Oh, really, I wasn't aware of that. Can I see an example? Turn the faucet on. I don't want to waste water. You really want me to stop time? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Alright. One. Two. 
So, Tasha, it sounds like you're on the side of the fence of uh, actually a, a, an affecting film rather than just a, a pile of uh, weird ideas happening. Well, I think it is a pile of weird ideas happening. I think it's also <laughs> a, a pile, a maudlin pile of emo quirk. That's not necessarily bad. I mean, The Tree of Life is a very pretentious film, and I loved it. This, in a way, is a very pretentious film. But pretension isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, it's it's trying to be more than it is, and I would argue that it succeeds. I think the talking cat maybe gets played up a little too much as the quirkiest element of the film. But it's not. it's not like the cat is in every moment of the film or is telling you how to feel about the film. The cat just kind of cuts in and out to narrate its own scenes. We should explain that this whole thing is uh, actually originally was written as Garfield 3. <laughs> yeah, they cut Odie out when they realized uh, he wanted a, a lot more money for this uh, <laughs> this go round. And then they lost the license. They had to they had to call it the future. A normal split off and got his own series. <laughs> Um, essentially, the story is about uh, Miranda July and Hamish Linklater as an awkward young couple who are considering adopting a, a very sick cat. And as ineffectual, awkward people, they are suddenly afraid that having this cat in their lives will impinge upon their ability to go out and do all of the things that they're currently not doing. So they set out to completely recreate their lives from scratch in their very small, awkward, emo sort of way. And the film kind of... It, unfolds from there into some very surprising directions that you know I, I really don't want to spoil but i don't think it's going too far to say that it is kind of literally a, a magical film so one of the scenes in this movie uh, miranda july's character um goes and meets someone uh based on an ad in the penny saver which is like the um you know it is it is sort of the proto craigslist the uh hard copy list of things for sale for eight dollars and um, her, her book, which is the companion uh, to the film called It Chooses You, is a book of uh, profiles and photographs of people that Miranda July in real life met through the Penny Saver, including the man who ended up playing that character in the film. Um, tell me a little bit about the book. Well, essentially, I mean, it's, it's a pretty brief book. It's, you know, not an extensive autobiography or anything. Essentially, she was, uh, she had writer's block while she was working on the script for, uh, for the future. And she kind of got over it in a way by embarking on this project where she started interviewing people who were selling things in the penny saver. And kind of once she got her foot in the door, she found out, you know, that all of them have strange and interesting and, and unique stories. So she brought along a photographer and she kind of shows you these people's, you know, strange little garage sale looking sad houses full of clutter that they're selling. And gets uh, just talks to them a little bit about what their lives are and how they got there. Anybody who wants more of a sense of who Miranda July is and how her actual life intersects with her work, I think would do really well to pick this up. Um, Keith, let's talk about this movie, Tyrannosaur. Uh, it won a bunch of awards at the uh, British Independent Film Awards, uh, a few a few awards at Sundance. Um, it was the first film by writer-director Patty Considine, and um, as I understand it, uh, just a, a, a near total lack of tyrannosaurs in this Near movie. total lack, although they're, they're, they are referenced. But uh, uh, writer-director Patty Considine might also be known to some as actor Patty Considine, uh, a very um, you know, hardworking British actor who, who also apparently is a very talented writer-director based on his, his feature debut. Peter Milan, another uh, British character actor, plays one of, you know, just... just 
a terrible person <laughs> in some respects. <laughs> um, I, I should preface this by saying this is a really good movie. You should see it. Uh, and then I should say that it opens with the main character uh, uh, kicking his dog to death um, and then realizing he's can't really get much lower and then spending the rest of the film trying uh, to piece his life back together, although not really that consciously. It kind of just sort of happens that he's placed on the path to become a better person. We have a clip from the movie. This is um, the uh, protagonist, Joseph, who is sort of passed out, sprawled in front of the uh, Christian charity shop uh, that's run by uh, the other main character in the film, Hannah. And in, in this scene, uh, Hannah is just showing up at the shop to, to find Joseph in that condition. Hello. Sorry. You're on my shutters. I just I need to open up. Do you want to come in? I'll open up. Hannah there is played by Olivia Coleman, um, who plays a uh, ray of light in his life, but also someone who has troubles of her own. Um, it's a hard movie to watch. Um, it kind of falls broadly into the category of uh, British working class miserabilism, but um, <laughs> it is so well done. And these characters are brought to life so wonderfully by the actors. Um, I found it in- incredibly moving and, and, and well worth the uh, difficulty of watching it at times. But there's no dinosaurs in the film. Uh, no, there's not. There's metaphorical dinosaurs, just as there are metaphorical uh, monsters uh, in, in the film. You uh, know, Keith, you know how they put up those signs in the movie theaters uh, when Tree of Life was playing that said, this Brad Pitt <laughs> movie is an art film. Um, you should expect it to be uh, slow and uh, dull, but possibly moving as well. They should put up signs in the theater that say there's no dinos in this movie. It's true. Although the, the film Jurassic Park is explicitly mentioned uh, at length in one of the uh, most poignant monologues in the film. Keith, let, let's go to the world of comic books and uh, this series called Frankenstein, Agent of Shade. Um, so the DC Comics universe was completely rebooted a couple of months ago, which is to say that they took all of these characters, you know, uh, Green Lantern and Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, and um, uh, that's, about, that's about as deep as I go in the DC canon, uh, and, and they brought them all back to zero. Um, this is This sounds like a very unusual mix of tones for a very uh, mainstream, you know, superhero comic book world. Yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. Um, I, I wanted to, there, there's been a lot of interesting books that come out of the whole DC reboot, but I, I wanted to single this one out because it may not be one that people are immediately seeking out. Um, and because it is such a peculiar and, and, and well done uh, uh, comic. Um, it's written by Jeff Lemire, who's writing a couple of the titles from the DC reboot, um, Animal Man being the other one. He comes from the world of indie comics. Um, he created Essex County, and he does an ongoing book called uh, Sweet Tooth for DC's uh, Vertigo line. 
this is very much uh, an action book and very much a, a kind of a horror science fiction hybrid. And it's extremely clever. Um, some version of Frankenstein's monster has been kicking around the DC universe for a while. But most recently, he's kind of reappeared as a uh, larger-than-life pulp hero. And Lemire really takes that idea and runs with it to its extreme, making him a, a agent for this uh, um, kind of super science team in which all the other members are also classic horror movie monsters. You get a werewolf, a, a vampire, and and other types. Um, and it's a very funny book, but also kind of operatic in its emotions. Um, Frankenstein is closest closer to the Frankenstein monster of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein than any other depiction I've, I've read, really. It, it's, it's, um, he's very kind of a Byronic hero, um, sort of tortured by uh, not only his existence as a, a stitched-together um, corpse of a man, a revived corpse of a man, but, um, but just by life in general. It's, 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 a, very, um, it's a very peculiar book, and, and so far it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's nice to hear the sort of resonances between the emotional operatic qualities of, uh, you know, 19th century fiction and the emotional operatic qualities of the superhero comic book. Yeah, definitely. And it plays with that idea a lot. And it's got this... um uh, kind of the perfect art for it. It's by uh, an Italian artist named Alberto Pontichelli, which is um, kind of a weird cross between a superhero comic book and, and a woodcut in a way. It's, it's it's very interesting looking. Well, Keith Phipps, Tasha Robinson from the AV Club, uh, thank you so much for telling us what's worth our time in the world of pop culture. Oh, you're welcome, Jesse. Thanks for having us. So this week's picks from the AV Club, My Week with Marilyn and Tyrannosaur. Both films are in theaters near you. Uh, Miranda July's The Future is now on DVD, and the companion book, It Chooses You, is in bookstores. The Laurel and Hardy Essential Collection is also available now, and issues of Frankenstein, Agent of Shade, can be purchased at a comic book store near you. Keith Phipps is the editor, and Tasha Robinson, the associate editor of the AV Club. You can find their podcast, Reasonable Discussions, and their writing online at avclub.com. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer, Julia Smith. Our editor is Nick White. Our intern is Colin Walzak. That's Colin with two L's for those of you keeping score at home. If you have thoughts about the show, you can always send me an email. My email address is jesse at MaximumFun.org. And always remember... All good radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by the menswear blog Put This On, presenting the Put This On Gentlemen's Association. Members receive a handmade pocket handkerchief in the mail every 60 days. Gift memberships available. More information at putthison.com. And by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. Hold up. 
Hello there, my name's Graham Clark. And I'm Dave Shumka. And together we host a podcast called Stop Podcasting Yourself. This is a file that you download from the internet and then you listen to it in your pod. What's that about, you ask? Well, who are you to ask? Who do you think you are? Yeah, get lost, bozo. (laughs) We're a couple of stand-up comedians in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and every week we bring a guest on the show. Sometimes they're Canadian, sometimes they're not, sometimes they're a ghost. It's like you're sitting in on a friendly uh, afternoon chat. Plus, we're Canadian, so you get a tax break. (laughs) You can find us on iTunes or online at MaximumFun.org. Huh? Ooh, spell. Spell.